We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 1,400 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's jolly chilly outside, so I'm sat here in uh, an Arctic-rated uh, jacket, nice warm shamag round my neck, and a woolly hat, and fingerless gloves, so I can operate a keyboard and a mouse. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Thank you very much. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you very much. I'm a little rushed today, but can you believe it? We are 1,400 days into 14 days to flatten that curve. Well, I can believe it simply because there's been so many things recently presented to us in terms of the inverted commas COVID inquiry into the way in which the government responded and behaved during COVID. And um, it's apparent from the inquiry that it's as uh, supportive of the narrative as the actions of the government were. So they're not asking the right questions. So, yes, I can believe we're that far down the road because all of this is being driven by governments worldwide and they were complicit from the start. So, yeah, no surprise to me that we are 1,400 days into an absolute feed of bollocks. Fauci was actually a part of an inquiry the other day, uh, and he said that, you know, there were some COVID failures that took place, and it's entirely possible that um, there could be some credibility to uh, uh, that virus leaking out of a lab in China. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice of him uh, to it, say, you know. It's like, I can't remember whether it was on the roundtable or some other podcast previous to that, where if you sort of deny everything for as long as possible. It gives you a chance to think up plausible deniability. And Fauci, if he doesn't want to wind up on the end of piano wire, which he richly deserves, then he's going to have to shway, shway, slowly, slowly, catchy monkey, let little things out and start to backpedal on some of the propaganda he pushed during the, um, the height of the pandemic. Indeed. 
All right. I do have a, a few things that we can get into today. Uh, I, I don't really have a, a whole lot, but I thought that uh, we would go off of your cue from what you and I spoke on the phone about, uh, about an hour, uh, well, it's been about two hours ago, two and a half hours ago. Yeah. And you said you wanted to talk about leadership. Now, we touched on it a little bit on the roundtable earlier in the week. And I, I mean, I'm always happy to talk about leadership or lack thereof because we simply don't have any, do we? No, we don't. What we've got are people who are playing a role, uh, pretending to be leaders, um, but they're, they are in turn being led by those that we never get to hear about, the ones that have kept their um, names out of the papers. Yeah, so I think the question is, what do we expect from a leader? If you don't know what you want from a leader, then whatever gets put in front of you is what you're stuck with. Because, um, you know, you have to have certain expectations. And let's just say in a normal job role, what would you, and I hate to put you on the spot, but what would you expect from a leader? Just give me perhaps two things that you think a leader should um, should do. Qualities, okay. mannerisms, behaviors. I'm going to start with uh, wisdom and courage. Courage, sure. Yeah, yeah. because you, you're going to have to. Integrity. You're going to have to throw that one yeah. in there. Fine, fine. So how are these things built up? Well, to be honest I, with you, I, I I look at this as, I, I mean, I base things, when it comes to, to leadership qualities, I base things on people's character. I don't look at what skills they possess. I, I look at someone rather or not and, and decide whether or not they've got an exemplary character. Because in my opinion, if you put somebody in a position that does not have an exemplary character, they're not going to excel at anything, no matter what their skill set is. Well, you might have a point. I, I think if I was to want to play devil's advocate, I'd say it all depends on what the job is. Okay. All right. Because yeah, if, if you're engaged in bank robbery, for instance, the last thing you want is uh, a, a goody to two shoes upright okay, pillar of the community. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. That's fair, but you're not going to recruit from that, are you? If you're if you're uh, robbing banks and put, putting a gang e together. E exactly. And and I think this is from my experience in the civilian world, people who get put into leadership roles quite often get put there because they are very good at the base level of the job, which I think is important for them to be so, but it's not necessary. And quite often what happens is, are you still there or have you frozen? No, you're still there, you blink. Oh, I'm still here. I've I've got like emails and texts and everything coming in. So I'm, right. it's the middle of the afternoon when we're doing this. If it was the evening, it wouldn't be so bad. But No, no, my, my apologies. But um, for instance, let's say you're on, on the shop floor in a factory as a skilled electrical fitter and you're building certain things. Okay, you get really good at it. You're doing it faster than anybody else at the same level as you. And the boss comes around and goes, right, you are going to be the team leader because you've got a full grip on the job itself. But you might not have any leadership qualities. You might not have that integrity, that courage. Nurturing, for instance, being able to identify when someone is struggling and the best way in which to help them. Because as a leader, you want to bring everybody along together. Whatever they they bring to the party, you want to make maximum use of what they can they can offer. So what quite often happens is someone will get elected or promoted into a leadership position, and the whole productivity of the team suddenly takes a nosedive. And and why is that? Well, for a start, the person that was 
manufacturing, producing, installing, whatever the task at the highest level has now gone to about 40% of doing that and 60% of it managing and leading the team. So you get this sinusoidal drop-off in performance, and then it takes uh, a period of time until that individual, if they've got the skills to bring people along with them, trains up other members of the team to be as good as they were. And so modern business world, a lot of graduate entries to companies uh, do a short apprenticeship, you know, go around all the different sections of the company and then wind up in a in a project manager's role. And their job is to help the people that are actually producing the product, whatever that product might be, uh, to get what they need, to understand the dynamics of what the team needs, what the deadlines are, what are the best ways to to meet those deadlines. And these are all, you know, modern day business requirements. Uh, and so in actual fact, to be a, a, a good leader, it's 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 all about asking questions. You don't have to, you do not have to know every part of the job to expert level, but what you have to do is trust the people who are at that expert level and take their advice. I mean, have you ever done any formal leadership training within any of the roles in, and jobs and career yeah. paths that you've taken? Yes, and quite so, frankly, I, th I think it's a, at the time, right, I'll, I'll put it this way, at the time, it seemed relevant, but I look back at it now and I, I think about just how much of a waste of time it actually was because they are in certain areas of the economy. I'll just put it that way. They prepare you for a role of being a yes person. In other words, you can't question things. You can't step outside of, of certain lines, even if that hinders your, your productivity. And I told you one of the biggest problems that I ran into, and that was I was not allowed to do my job. Yeah. So it's it's not a matter it's not a matter of going through leadership training, in my opinion. If you step up and you emit leadership qualities, that is frowned upon, in my opinion, in my personal well, you're experience. You're a threat. You're, you're a threat. Yeah. If you show self motivation and initiative, then that could threaten the overall plan. But only a weak plan gets threatened by those kind of things. In military leadership, we do things called practical leadership tasks. So you'll keep, and, and quite often that they're, 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 they're fairly sort of, you have to use your imagination. You've got across this chasm um, using those planks, a couple of poles, these ropes, and get those barrels across the chasm. So you have to suspend disbelief for a little while, but it's how you approach the task. And it is formulaic. There is a formula to it. So the first thing you do is you go round the whole team uh, as the you know nominated leader and say, right, how are we going to do this? And you set yourself uh, a time limit so you to to get everyone's input. If they haven't got any input, then you move on to the next person, and you then you incorporate anything that's good about what the team have just said into your plan, which you would have already formulated. You already have to have a plan. Yeah, so you're given the task, plan formulates in your head, and it gets gelled by the team's input. Because when that happens and people recognize that their ideas are being utilized and valued, all of a sudden the task becomes their baby rather than a bastard thrust upon them. You get their buy-in. 
And that's one of the most important things inside leadership is to get the whole team pushing in the same direction. And it it, it does all those things at once. It, it gives people a sense of value and appreciation. It gives them a purpose. Uh, and it and it also instructs them on how you're going to approach the task. So the next thing you do is allocate a time. Someone who is, these things are always within a set number of minutes. Do it within 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. And someone is going to keep an eye on the time. Uh, and so every now and again, they'll shout out, we've got 15 minutes to go. We've got 10 minutes to go. So you know where you are uh, in terms of your deadline, which is obviously important. And then you perform the task and then you debrief and you do what is called learning from experience. So Ellie, you <laughs> talk about how the task went and what went right, what went wrong, what was particularly good, what was particularly bad. And then when you approach the next task, you might not be the leader, but the team, because a new leader will be nominated and, and you'll move on like that. So that's that's very, very basic and simple leadership. There's more to it than that, obviously, uh, which we can talk about in, in a moment. But in terms of getting the job done and making sure everyone feels part of that job is is proper leadership in my in, in my book. I think and I, I, I agree with your assessment there. And I I've uh, I've actually gone through things that are that are oddly very similar to that, uh, if not exactly. And. I have always found that none of what you just described actually works if you don't have the right person in charge. So you can go um, through and you can have someone say, okay, you're, you can just, as if you're like the um, the person that's picking who who's going to be in that leadership role, that's not necessarily saying that whatever you come up with, whatever plan you formulate is actually going to come to fruition because that's not a qualified person. So there's got to be an evaluation process. And I'm sure we're going to go this way with it eventually. And maybe you want to you know go down this track now or you want to you know table it and we'll come back to it in a, in a bit. But we're ignoring these systems of meritocracy. We're throwing all of this out the window and we're replacing it with this DEI hiring practice nonsense. So we're looking at a system that is doomed to failure. Like it's it's on a it's on a dead end path, and we're going to come off the rails really soon if we're not already. Uh, and in terms of business, education, and well, I mean, you can already see it: uh, finance, politics, media, everything. Right? We're going to come off the rails with this this uh, hiring practice that that people are being, or excuse me, that companies are taking on. And as I was saying yesterday, when we were talking about uh, university education, well, you send somebody to a university to go in to get an education or whatever, to come out, do an internship and go into work in a middle management or whatever into one of these companies. But they're backdoored by the corporations that are doing these hiring practices. They're putting unqualified people in there. Yeah. And that's for a completely different reason. It, it's the, the reason the DEI problem that has arisen is because companies are just ticking boxes. Companies and indeed armed forces, you know, are also doing the same thing these days. Something just went ting. I yeah, apologize. See, you're getting messages too. So it's yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the thing is, in the context I was describing, everybody there wants to be a leader. They have just been provisionally promoted uh, by rank. And now they're on a leadership course, uh, learning how to apply leadership techniques. So everybody gets a go, regardless. Uh, within that group, you're going to have people of 
of differing lev- levels of experience, diff- different uh, interpersonal skills, and they have to learn from each other. You you learn from each other. If someone gets up there and really handles the team well, the guy who go or guy or girl who goes next can use what they've just seen and apply it to the tasks that they are given. So it's, I think leadership is important, but certainly in within companies, modern day civilian companies, whether it's a manufacturing company, an insurance company, any kind of you know supply chain company, they don't necessarily give that level of leadership training opportunity to the people they put into the roles. It's it's probably based on DEI or it's based on how well they performed in the role. But I, as right at the start of this, I've explained how sometimes taking your best operator out of the picture and putting them into the leadership role actually has a negative effect on output, on how you're achieving, because that individual is suddenly doing more than just producing, 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 they are having to manage, lead, administrate, and their production normally drops by about 60%. So that has an instant impact on the team. So having people who are trained as leaders is always a good idea. Whether they've come out of the the production line or whether they've been brought in separately if they've had the right training and given the right exposure to these ideas, they can apply them. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Well, you have always said that whenever you go and sit down for a, uh, a job interview, the one question they always ask is, why do you think you're a good fit for this role? And you always say that you have a specific set of skills and you, ha- you know how to apply yourself. And a lot of people do not know how to apply themselves. And, and again, this kind of training, which a lot of people don't get the chance to have, um, because it's normally within terms of emergency services, law enforcement, military, get those kind of um, those kind of leadership courses, and civilians don't tend to have it, which is why so many people coming out of the military are, are being snapped up by corporations because they have those skills already. But of course, what they also have, uh, unfortunately is uh, an indoctrinated obedience. So even if the the plan isn't going quite right and they're getting screwed over by their higher-ups, they're not the type to make too much fuss. Unfortunately, I am the type to make fuss, and it hasn't always... You? No. Yes, me. Yes, I me. never would have guessed that you cause fuss. You, no. Well, when, when, you, when you've identified what the problem is or that, that there is a problem, and then you are not allowed to address it properly that's when that's when you start to lose your shit shall we say and the idea of i love this job it's great the money's good i enjoy the hours but i need to fix this problem and this ass hat is preventing me from doing so this ass hat is also your boss that's when the the conflict the sparks and then looking for another job normally happens so i mean i i don't i don't see the the necessary qualities in in people inherently you know there there has to be an inherent quality to to leadership as well doesn't there it, it's not just being trained to be a leader you can do that with certain people yes but they have to be receptive to it in the first place but i think if you get someone uh, if you get someone who is just a natural leader 
Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you, you notice it in the playground, for instance, kids at school, kids of your own age, there's always leaders and there's always followers. Now, those leaders have, have, have just got something about them. But the problem is, without any formal training, when they f- face the first time when people don't follow and they're not listened to and they're not getting their own way, they can fall to pieces. I think a lot of leadership training is that wisdom that you were talking about right at the start. And that comes with experience. And you can't guarantee that life will give you those experiences. So uh, an opportunity to have it trained into you, uh, creating artificially, albeit, those situations so that you can learn how to cope with them. And um, I, I watched well, there this. You're talk- there you're talking about discipline. You know, you have to you have to get somebody disciplined enough to be able to be receptive to that. Yeah, it, well, it is a discipline, but it's also resilience. Yeah. So that when yeah. you fail, you don't just give up. You you try another approach. You you go down another avenue. You reformulate a plan. When I was working for, it started off as cable and wireless, and. I'm going to mention his name because it's the same name as a as a famous Doctor Who actor. Colin Baker was this guy's name, and he was he was my manager, and he identified that I had the skills he needed to be a team leader. So we actually got sent on a leadership course within Cable and Wireless, which later, as I say, became NTL. And uh, he was on the same course, and the people running the course uh, got us to role play. There was this. Big black dude. He was a really impressive bloke and and funny. And he knew Colin from quite a few years back. And Colin had to play a manager who was explaining to someone for this role play that they couldn't be put on this particular course that they wanted to do. And right in the middle of it, Colin was explaining and uh, giving all the kind of placating words that he could. And this guy just went, it's because I'm black, in it? You're a racist. And I watched this man who the whole business thought of as uh, a really good manager, a high flyer, going to go far. He went up to area manager afterwards, but I saw him fall to bits and blush and fart and uh, not know what to say and how to cope with that sudden surprise. Well, all, uh, you know, I've said this before, every plan falls apart on first contact with the enemy. Whether that enemy is a supply chain or an unhappy customer or uh, half a division of Soviet troops uh, across the other side of the Rhine, every plan falls to pieces on first contact with, with the enemy. So you have to be resilient. You have to be able to take that knockback and come up with a new plan and a new way of achieving the task. And Sometimes you can learn that in life. And as you go through different jobs, different job roles, different companies, different, a whole different areas of work, you learn skills that you need to keep. And it's the people who know how to lock those experiences away so that they can be used as an example in the future, I think, are the people who make the best leaders. But up till now, we've just been talking about leaders within a, a job role you know, a way of earning money. What we really need are leaders who will lead us politically. So we're talking whole countries. And this is a this is an absolutely open question. 
do you think that there's any difference between being a political leader and a job-related um, workplace leader? No, I don't think there is any difference because you're both following a party line. The only difference that I can see is that usually about a 40-60 split of 60% might be behind you and 4% don't like uh, and will not want anything to do with anything you're saying. That's the problem that you have. So the part of leadership that I think political leaders need to have is make sure that even the people who voted against them see themselves uh, being picked up, elevated and taken along um, with the party faithful in terms of um, bettering their situation, because that's to make the lives of their constituents better, whether those constituents voted for them or not. So I think that's the that's the the only real difference. Everything still gets um, applied in the same way. But the bit that, that our, our political leaders need to do is put policies in front of us that everyone can benefit from. And so far, in the last 25, 30 years, that has not been the case. The, the policies that our governments are coming up with, no one can really get behind apart from those that are financially benefiting from those policies. And that's usually their cronies. So the, the whole crony capitalism um, setup that we've got in communist countries as well as capitalist countries. Well, I think that gravy train is, uh, is about to um, hit the final station if it hasn't already, and it's about to come off the rails. Well, yeah, and, and it probably will. But who's there to pick up the pieces? Who's there to do the cleanup operation? That's going to be us, my friend. I'm afraid. I, I hate to say that. It's going to be us. I'm too old to to um, to to get all fired up and, and do that kind of level of work. Surely there must be someone around about your age well, here apart in the from UK. My, apart from me. Well, um, in the UK, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You, you'd be reaching out to our, our, UK, our, our listeners across the whole of the UK, if that's what you're asking. I, I am asking. I'm, I'm Actually, what I'm asking is people to go through a bit of a reflective cycle and think when the shit hits the fan and this gravy train does go off the rails, we're using an awful lot of metaphors to describe it. Basically, when the civil unrest gets to a point because of these bad policies that any real government and control within the country falls to bits, who is capable, what can you bring to the party to tidy that shit up and get things back in order and back on track? Not on their track, not on the track that they intend, but on one that makes things better within the country. Well, it's going to take, I think, what we started with. It's going to take someone with a, uh, a natural ability to lead. You know, we don't have anybody that can lead at the moment, and it's going to take somebody to step up and lead, and we don't have that. So I'm going to throw a term out here, uh, and you can weigh in on it. Um, do we need, uh, it's just a suggestion, it's not It's not a, a saying that, you know, you have to, do we need a benign dictatorship to no, in order to set things, if you will? Um, now, the thing about benign dictatorships are the, um, the people who wind up in the dictator's role, have usually been groomed to love their country, respect the people, 
and understand that they will, of course, have an idea that they are elevated above those people. You know, the the Bible with the or the King James Bible, at least with the the whole divine right of kings. So, no, at the moment, I don't think anyone's actually been groomed and developed and prepared in that way to take uh, the reins as a benign dictator. And it works in certain cultures. It works in heavily religious cultures, for instance, because people are so used to, you know, following the will of God, Allah, Yahweh, Buddha, whatever you want to call your, your imaginary friend. They're so used to following that will, which actually is, of course, the will of the cleric who's interpreting the, the scripture for you so that they are more susceptible and more easily controlled by a benign dictatorship or any dictatorship for that matter. I don't think that's quite the case in the West. Even within the the Bible Belt of the US, I can't see benign dictatorship working. I didn't say it would work. I was just asking if it would be something that we could use as a tool to write things. As That's all I'm saying is like we, we're going to have to. And I I mean, I'll, I'll just be honest. We're going to have to slam the chains down. Take that however you like on this climate change bullshit. That's got to go. This transgender stuff, that's got to go. All that stuff, uh, everything that is wrecking our society and, and wrecking our civilization, that has to be stopped. And I mean stopped. As in, no, we're not going to dial it back. We're not going to have a, a five-year phase-out plan. We're not going to have a, a, a committee and, and put this together. We're going to pass legislation and, and do study groups in universities. No, that has to stop. Uh, yes, it does, have, it does have to stop. But the problem is you really can't turn the clock back. So our levels of tolerance, understanding, equality, diversity, and inclusion, I think they've already peaked, but it's being pushed past that um, off the edge of a precipice. We're, we're already at the top of the mountain, and now we're going to fall off a sheer cliff face on the other side, the way that they're pushing it, because positive discrimination is still discrimination, and no one wants to be discriminated against. Yes, we need to stop it, but at the same time, I don't think you can actually turn the clock back. I don't think you can change things. People who have been told they've got an unalienable alienable right to do whatever job they want to do or whatever job they are capable of doing will still want that right because otherwise you're just going to create that turmoil, resistance, that counter-revolution uh, of these people who are suddenly being disadvantaged. So at the moment, they're being unfairly advantaged. And if it all stops suddenly and someone tries to turn it back 20 years, they you are mean, suddenly, yeah, well, they're, they're suddenly your counter-revolutionaries, aren't they? Well, um, I, I, I would only say that that is the case because they've been agitated and, and indoctrinated to believe that. You know, if we bring back a system of meritocracy and and based on your natural God-given ability to do things, then you would find that those disadvantaged groups will stay disadvantaged until they get their damn act together. Those particular people have probably had, you know, the ones we're talking about, let's face it, we're talking about gay people who've, who've grown up um, afraid to be who they are because of worries about how their family will treat them, how friends will treat them, whether they're going to be bullied uh, and those kind of things. The, the the trans people, who I, I can't say I've got a great deal of understanding of, but again, they just want to be 
who they see themselves as being. But no one else has to play their game. No one else has to agree with them, but they certainly shouldn't bully, persecute and ridicule them because that's just not not a nice thing to do. I did have a point. I'm trying to get back to it. Um, <laughs> this this happens occasionally, but no, they have been revved up to 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 think they've got to keep pushing in in this direction. But we're all I, honestly, it's such a small proportion of society overall. But because social media and the mainstream media are being flooded with these images, these videos, these little TikToks of people basically moaning about their life. We all think that the problem is much, much bigger than it actually is. And also what it's doing is it's encouraging people who get no attention to pick up one of these labels uh, to get themselves some attention, to make themselves feel special. And again, that's, that's a failing of leadership. Everybody should feel valued and special as long as they are giving every ounce of effort they can muster into improving their situation, their family situation, their town, whatever size group you're, you're, you're part of, as long as you're working towards improving the situation, then, then you do deserve to, to feel part of it all, welcome, and so on. So what, what we got here, we've got lots of different coloured flags We've got Lenin on the trans flag there. Uh, what you've got right here, um, you've got right here the, uh, you see that? Yeah, yeah, the hammer and sickle on that the trans would be flag. The, that would be, yeah, that would be the flag of the Soviet Union. Yeah, but <laughs> again, the Soviet Union, uh, just in the same way that fundamental Islam, fundamental Christianity, uh, Judaism doesn't appreciate these type of people. They have no value under those types of system, whether it's a strict political system or a strict religious system. These individuals have have no standing. They are an anathema to all of those types of um, uh, of societal organisations. So they're, they're making a lot of noise, but they are making a lot of noise because they've been prompted and goaded into doing so um, because it's a divisive technique. It divides the rest of us. It detracts from what the actual problems are. The best thing to do with them is to not bully them, not ridicule them, and let them do whatever they want to do. But you don't have to play their game. You don't have to, you know, incorrectly use a pronoun just because it makes that individual happy. You don't have to accept any kind of law-breaking that they're doing just because they are of, of, of a certain sexuality or gender identity. You don't have to do any of that, but they need to abide by the law and be left alone to do whatever they want to do within the law. And well, what the we problem got is, well, the, well, I'll get to this in a second. The problem you have is, is that um, if you leave them alone and we've left them alone up to this point, look what they've done. You know, you, What have you, they done? I'm well, serious. Okay, we don't often well, disagree, but we might be about to. Well, okay. Uh, if you leave them alone to their own whatever, then this is going to be allowed in schools where they're teaching this stuff. And it is not with the parents' consent. In fact, when the parents find out about it, 
in the United States. They go to school board meetings where you have all of the school board members that are nice, woke little idiots that come out of the uh, universities that are sitting there with their masks on. And when they get told how god awful that their children's lives have turned out, and you have everyone up, on their, up there on that school board stage that either walks out, turns the microphones off, or cuts someone off, cuts a parent off, or has the police escort them out. On top of that, you have the United States Department of Justice, the FBI, investigating parents that go to school boards and complain about this that gets taught to their children against the parents' wishes when they're not even being purviewed to any kind of information like that. And they are classified by the Department of Justice as domestic terrorists. So... You leave them alone to their own accord. This happens. This is the percentage and change of diagnosis I, of I, gender dysphoria. Yeah, I, 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 I disagree. The curriculum is controlled here in the UK. It's it's a national curriculum, and the content of it is kind of movable within each local area education authority. But it has to contain certain things, and and certainly something like uh, in the inclusion of gender dysphoria. Um, in any kind of teaching would be taken at a national level. So each of your states get to decide what's taught in your public schools within within the US. And I don't curriculum. believe, yeah, I don't believe there's a high level of trans people uh, in the Senate, in your House of Representatives, within Congress. Yeah. So yeah. these changes are being driven top down so it's the it, it's the intention of the people within these governmental organizations to open this up and so for the benefit of the listener I'm looking at a map of the of, of the US and it's the um increases of gender dysphoria 2018 to 2022 and certain states so it's all done in in blue apart from South Dakota, where there has has there been no creases or is there been there's a, been a twenty three percent decrease because they have outlawed such teachings as I'm discussing. But everywhere else in the states, all the other forty nine states are varying colours, varying shades of blue. With California, um, not as bad as I would have thought it. That's sort of at the That's, midpoint. Yeah, one of the highest increases though. Alaska vastly underpopulated, and therefore, if there were one or two more cases. That could turn that whole state very dark blue, which it has done. Um, what's that big blocky, almost rectangular one, one space away from California? That would be Utah. Utah. So yeah. Utah's had, I would had throw, this really- I would, I would throw Salt Lake City in as a responsible uh, party for that. Yeah. One, but yeah. Um, so there are states that have had a dramatic increase. But then again, these are statistics. They're based on percentages, a percentage increase. So if there are five or six cases prior to 2018, and then 2018 to 2022, they get twice that amount, it would be a 50% increase in in cases of diagnosed gender dysphoria. But look at the the, the time period of that of that um graphic representation uh, of cases of gender dysphoria it's 2018 to 2022 was it yes that's uh, if you if you do if you if you look at it what happened during that time yeah 3 years of that time yeah uh you were locked down yes you were at the the online the, learning yeah. yeah online learning the rise of tiktok 
the rise of people sat there because they've got so much time on their hands watching social media, which is where these ideas are being used as a propaganda tool to manipulate young developing minds and to turn them into basket cases, basically. This is this is what's happening. And so I don't think it's actually the original core of people with gender dysphoria, gay people, people who identify as toasters, whatever they were, that central core of those people that were there anyway and were always going to be there, their numbers have been artificially inflated by a message being put out on social media. And that's the problem. So I still maintain, let them alone, let them do what they have to do as long as they're not breaking any laws. But we need to stamp down on how these harmful, damaging ideas are being transmitted via... And again, I don't see why it should um, interrupt freedom of speech. Speech. It, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to, to manage. And I think it would take a team of properly motivated with genuine reasons for conducting it, but it would take a proper a specially selected team of people to monitor and to stop where necessary the kind of propaganda and 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 basically manipulation brainwashing that social media is doing to our younger generations. Well, I would also argue that there are a lot of parents out there that push this on their children against their will as well. I mean, I can tell you countless video after countless video that I've sat here and I've watched and Bruce's and, and you know, I've watched yeah, uh, going to these events and the children are screaming with their hands over their eyes and the parents are pulling their hands away saying, no, look at it. Yeah, because the parents want to be seen as woke, virtue signaling, they will you know, derogatory terms for it, I'm sure they'd say open-minded and um, ec equitable people. Uh, that They have to be seen to be that because they've been convinced that is the only way you, you should be. And anyone who is not, you know, supportive of these kind of conditions is a bad person. They're a Nazi. They're, they're a a fascist, you know, they're, they're waiting for that. Right. One, yeah. Yeah. yeah, hate speech and you know, all the rest of it. All right, uh, because we're getting low on time, uh, I promised you a clip of uh, the good senator here. This is the same senator who has said, I'm going to move over to Lindsey Graham. I played this yesterday with Bruce, but I'm going to play it for you today. I, I referenced this when you were on last week and I said I was going to have to go and dig the clip out. Well, I found it. And this was Senator Lindsey Graham, you know, the guy that said, Look, just blow Iran off the map. You know, that one? Yeah. You remember? Yeah. Okay. This is him. And I told you, I, I found it. Uh, here he is. If you can't admire Joe Biden as a person, then it's probably you got a problem. <laughs> you need to do some self-evaluation because what's not to like? And um, he's the nicest person I think I've ever met in politics. Is that right? He is as good a man as God ever created. There you go. <laughs> why, why is he why is he so close to tears? Uh, well, he Why was, he's are, so choked up, so choked up. He's very yeah, emotional. he's choked up because he's lying out of his ass. If you look at in that clip, you look at his eyes, you look at the unconscious tells that he's giving. That man is lying through his teeth, and he knows it, and he's doing it for the benefit of his political career. He's getting behind Biden. Because if he doesn't, he knows that within the Democrat Party, he will be out. He's and, a Republican. Well, 
They're all it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. In that yeah. case, I, I, I sound really stupid, but um, no, it, there's something going on there over and above that man's honest opinion of Joe Biden, because no one, no one can have that kind of exemplary opinion of Biden after how many years has he been in now? He has been in Three. office, I think. No, he's been in. Uh, are you talking about the president or in politics? In as president. As president, he's on his uh, he's on his final year. So we've got this is the last year. Yeah, so three years. Uh, so he's done three years, and this is the last of his four. He hasn't got a single thing right. A broken or clock. Has he? Or has stop. He? No. In in terms of the agenda, in terms of the plan, which isn't the U.S.'s plan, then yes, of course he's got things right. As have my government. They've got it all right. Everything's going the right way. The mass invasion of illegal immigrants, the breaking of our economies, the uh, destruction of our armed forces and, and ability to defend ourselves. They've got all that right in terms of, of the globalist plan, whether that plan is ultra-rich capitalist oligarchs or dyed-in-the-wall communists. They've got that bit right. Everything else has been to the detriment of our countries. So how can anyone have that kind of opinion of a c like Joe Biden. But, well, Marty, I think that, uh, and I'll tell you the same thing that I told to Bruce, um, I think you need to do some self-evaluating because what's I not have. to lie? I, I, <laughs> I did it because I saw that video a few days ago and I did a reflective cycle and thought, am I wrong? Maybe I've been unfair. And I decided, no, I f***ing hadn't. <laughs> that is fair. All right. Um, I have something I'm going to share with you before you get away. Uh, I'm going to do it post, though. So uh, we'll we'll talk about it offline. Um, any final words you would like to impart to the listener before you get away for the week? You know what? I've, I've probably got loads to say, but I, being an old man and on diabetic medicine, I need to get away as quickly as possible now. So that's it. For that me. means that co code for Marty, that means the ice cream truck is is just down the road. He can probably hear it. It's minus two outside. Um, every truck that? is an ice cream truck. You, yeah, that's true. What do you think of that that uh, that American coffee that I showed you before we started in, in, uh, um, in free? <laughs> I, I think that consuming enough calories to keep a human alive for a week in a single drink is dangerous, immoral, irresponsible. And yeah, I would have one if I got the opportunity. I have to say I would at least try it. You know, just I mean, I would be a mess. Yeah, I would be a mess after I had a I had a milkshake. Uh, I went to an American place here and I had a uh, an apple pie milkshake for dessert and I was a mess the next day. I remember I called you. And I was I was just absolutely yeah. destroyed. Yeah. The only time I could justify that um, would have been when I was 17 years old, walking 30 miles a day with 90 pound of kit on my back and a weapon across rugged, rocky desert is the only time I could have justified having a drink like that because you were burning everything off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm never going to do that level of physical exercise uh, for long, for prolonged periods ever again. So no, I think it would be very irresponsible to have a drink like that. What was it called again? The American the, Morning Coffee. That, not the one yeah. from Dunkin' Donuts. That was something different. I'm talking about the shake with the cheesecake on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, but it, I would say it's more like morning as in M-O-U-R. Uh, You're going to be dead. Yeah. <laughs> 
coffin. Yeah, the American morning coffin is more like what that, that drink is. Fair enough. All right, my friend, it has been a fascinating conversation. I will see you next week. Thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. If you would like to support us, the link is in the program description down below. You can click it and it will take you over to our subscriber page. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here today, Marty. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone and have a great weekend. 